CCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Thank you for being here today. Our guest, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, yeah, my name is Ted Huntington, and I work in the Science Library at University of California, Irvine. And Ziba, just before I can uh, give you my background information, sure. I just want to say that um, it's so nice to be uh, here talking with you, and I think you're really, you know, kind of a special person oh, for, you. Uh, you know, for being so, so social and for taking it to yeah. the streets. <laughs> <laughs> the way you do, and that, that you're tolerant and of diverse views and people, and you're a friendly person. You know, oh, thank you. Sure. You know, so many people I encounter, I think, are, can be so kind of cruel and mean and, and just also so judgmental yeah. and intolerant. So it's really nice to chat with you. And uh, so a little bit about me. I'm really, I'm known for many things. I have about 20 major issues that I focus on. I try to, like, condense all of my views to 20 major issues. And I'm known for like having some pretty interesting scientific beliefs. For example, I'm a person who believes that all the matter in the universe is made out of particles of light. And I explain this by telling people that, you know, um, when you light a match, the particles of light come out of the match and you see them in your eye. They collide with your eye, right? And then the match is made smaller. So it seems like the particles of light were always in that match and that, you know, everything is made out of these particles of light. But maybe not, you know. And so also I'm a person who thinks like, for example, I'm obviously for the particle theory of light and so on, um, that polarization and diffraction and refraction, these phenomena of light, are actually reflection, particle reflections. So that's kind of an unusual view. Also, I'm, I'm known for um, my view of just rejecting the Big Bang theory. Not too many people out there reject the Big Bang expanding universe uh, theory. I'm one that does because to me it seems unlikely that the universe just ends 15 billion years out, that you know, the farthest galaxies we can see represent the beginning of time. To me it just seems like it would be more logical that the universe was infinite in size and that you know, any background radiation is just the light particles from, from galaxies and stars that are too far to really see for us. So I have that kind of view which is uh, rare. But more beyond that, um, I'm doing this project, it's a massive video, and it's going to be called Universal Life Science Future, and uh, you can check it out on my webpage, tedhuntington.com, and, uh, but basically it's going to be an entire story of the history of evolution, all the different transitions, uh, you know, from, from uh, prokaryote to eukaryote and so on, um, up until, um, and then a history of science, all the different science uh, advances. It's amazing to me how little people know about the history of science. I mean, it's just shocking. Um, for example, most people don't even have never heard of Luigi Galvani, a guy who was uh, using electricity to contract frog leg muscles in 1680, you know, or uh, Michael Faraday, the guy who uh, was the first to invent the electric motor and the electric generator in around 1821. Uh, most people have never even heard of these people, and so, I mean, it's kind of shocking. So I wanted to make a history and show all of them what they look like and their inventions and so on, and then project it. The, into the future, where we look at the future of life of Earth. Like, for example, we know that life of Earth is going to be building cities on the moon and building cities on Mars. Just like, you know, for the, um, in the 1400s, uh, the Americas were the new world for the Europeans. But now, here in the 21st and 22nd centuries, um, the moon and the Mars are the new world for we people now. And so you can see the amazing thing that we're going to, this story tells, sort of predicts when are we going to build those cities on the moon and on Mars? And what is that going to look like? And when are we going to go to the nearest stars like Alpha Centauri? And uh, will that happen in 500 years or 1,000 years? And that's what this project looks at. And um, so I'm really interested in the future uh, and future technologies. Like, I think there's some really amazing future technolo technologies that I want to talk to you about. Like, for example, the walking robots and the genetic manipulations, like being able to, for example slow, vastly slower, and the effects of aging, I think are really fascinating. Or also this idea of neuron reading and writing, which is c happening in various science circles. People are able to actually uh, read and read from and write to your neurons, like actually be able to see what you're seeing from behind your head and to see potentially even your the image in your mind and, and to even maybe send back sounds. To, we could hear music directly to our brain, you know, sent to our ear. Uh, you know, it's just an amazing possibility to be able to see videos in front of our eyes. For example, I know like um, when I'm jogging, I love to be able to watch a movie without having to look at a screen, but just in front of my eyes there, like beam directly, like from the um, 
maybe the, the, the telecom companies, instead of beaming it to my cell phone, they could beam it directly to my brain. So, and there's research. That there that, could be something the libraries could use. Yeah, for because sure. Because I'm interested specifically myself on the, in the future of libraries. And that's information spaces. So something like you said there is something you could beam information directly to somebody. Definitely. It's like the, how convenient. Instead of having to uh, go onto a computer, just to have your computer desktop in front of your eyes. To be able to, uh, you know, uh, look up something on the Internet just in front of your eyes. And so, yeah, I think that's... Yeah, and anything that involves information involves the libraries. So let me just quickly go over these other issues that, of course, stopping violence is a very important issue for me. And I spend a lot of time creating music um, to speak out against violence. Um, for example, for a registry of violent offenders. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me that we don't have this. So, and then also I'm for promoting the idea of total freedom of all information. And that's related to the libraries, too. Because what is the effect of... Um, you know, a, uh, a society where there's total and complete freedom of all information, nobody imprisoned or fined for, um, for any information that they own or, or make available. I mean, it's a pretty interesting, we should talk about it, even if it's maybe never going to happen. Um, but also, um, uh, so in favor of ending the arrests of people involved with recreational drugs and prostitution. And I, I tell people, you know, don't get involved in drugs, for sure. Um, you know, and don't get addicted to drugs. But I, I, my concern is when people do, let's not fill, let's not lock them in prison. You know, I'm like, don't use drugs, but let's not lock people in prison that do or or get involved in prostitution. Mostly, they're poor people, and uh, so you know, I'm in favor. Or if we do lock them in prison for drugs, let it only be for like a few days or something until they're sober. If that's really the effort to to make them sober. You know, um, we don't lock people who overeat in prison, you know, to make them thin and healthy. Uh, we don't lock people uh, in jail who smoke uh, or drink too much alcohol, or if we do, only until they're sober. So that's my, that's my view on the war on drugs and the war on prostitution. I think that they're just, they're very, very, they're too severe in terms of their punishments. Uh, so that's another issue I'm kind of known for, um, and I like to talk about. I like in these interesting issues, you know, I mean, they're interesting to me. And uh, they do relate also to, to libraries. So um, also I'm interested in, uh, in challenging pseudoscience and pseudoscience's mistaken beliefs, like the claims of many religions and pseudosciences and superstitions. And then also uh, I'm interested in sort of, and also healthcare and, and making, especially the psychiatric system. The psychiatric system to me is really interesting. And it's because it's so brutal too, you know, and also mm -hmm. it's so, uh, uh, um, so, you know, I, my, my view and my, effort is to try and make um, psychiatric health care consensual. In other words, no restraining and drugging people. That's, uh, or only with consent. I mean, because it's a massive drug, uh, drug enterprise. So um, also like the idea of letting people, uh, ending forced labor, letting people quit the military, being able to quit. I mean, it's unbelievable. Can you imagine working at a supermarket and you're like, okay, I'd like to quit now. And they're like, okay, but you're going to be imprisoned for desertion. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I mean That's especially um, relevant here. You know, some people are tricked, I think, into the military by recruiters. They say the wrong thing to the wrong person, but it's what they want to hear at the right time. So they get signed up for six years and then they're gone. But maybe they only heard about it for a couple months and they decided, I want to take this opportunity. And once you're stuck, they, they do make it illegal and they make it very negative for you to leave. Yeah, and these are poor people who, like, you know, they get into the military, and it's during peacetime. And then somebody, you know, some tyrant becomes gets into power, and they declare some war that's a, a bogus war that you don't believe in. And it doesn't matter. Uh, you have to get in there and do violence for these uh, wealthy um, leaders, who, and you have no choice, even if you don't believe in it, to do this violence. Uh, you know, that's what I'm saying. Let people... Well, it's all part of this bit larger idea of full democracy where we get to vote directly in the laws and we we should be able to vote on uh, like whether we're going to go to war as a nation we should be able to vote over the internet over the net um, directly on all those government jobs all the courts I think and this is one of my things that I promote is full democracy and constant democracy where we get to vote on the salaries the generals like the director of the the Central Intelligence Agency or the FBI, uh, we get to vote. Like more democracy, more power to the people. That's what libraries are all about: is freedom of information, and that's like a home for democracy. Really, is what people believe in libraries for. So that's good that you yourself work in a library. I work in a library, and this radio show is about libraries because it's about freedom of information, equal access to all, equal rights to all. Everybody should know. 
you know, that's where um, our library di school discussion got into w WikiLeaks. Because how much should the, you know, the people know about the military? That's what's the interesting. Yeah, you and I are going to talk a lot about the freedom of information and the and the various balance between people's uh, the the issues of privacy and national security. Um, versus the people's right to know, and do we want to have an informed, educated, is an informed, educated public safer, or an ignorant, uninformed public? Is that safer? And that's a big debate, I mean, among uh, many people. But just other things that I'm, I'm known for um, are also pr promoting the idea that pleasure isn't a big problem, but pain is. You know, that consensual um, sex, for example, isn't a big problem and shouldn't be stopped or shunned by society. But instead, unconsensual violence is the big evil on Earth. And that, you know, the public needs to wake up to that truth. And the truth is that, you know, um, it's interesting. Like, only those sexual people have survived because if people were not sexual, um, they uh, wouldn't reproduce and leave their offspring. So, you know, that's the thing. Sex has been happening for a million years. And so I'm for sex education and for educating the public about human anatomy and the anatomy of the other species. And it's an unpleasant topic for many people, but I think it's something that uh, will be better off if we uh, recognize, as so many people are so dishonest about sex, and I think, and so that's one thing, um, that it's a, it's a reality that uh, reproduction is, re depends on sexuality. So I think that that's something we have to recognize, and uh, we, should, we should be honest about that reality so uh, but also I'm, I'm known for promoting gender and race equality in law and gender and race variety I think variety is a key is a key thing so uh, yeah so without so that's pretty much uh, what I'm known for so and you have a website yeah, I do at tedhuntington.com and of course many many numerous songs and videos on YouTube if you just search for Ted Huntington all one word including the song in the background currently that yeah is on air yeah full democracy that's right so you wanted to talk about um, violence, media, and, the, and libraries. And that's another thing, actually, I should mention, that I'm really interested in the famous um, violent acts of the, of the past. Like, for example, the famous assassinations. Well, many people are, you know, uh, interested in the JFK assassination of Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy and John Lennon murder. I mean, we have a violent, violent planet and, and a violent, violent nation. We're, we're something like eighth on, the, on uh, the list of murder by a gun. Just a very extremely violent nation, especially when you compare us to Canada and some other nations of similar size. Uh, and we need to stop this. You know, we need to really uh, address this issue of violence. And uh, one thing that's amazing to me is when you look at many of these um, acts of violence in the past, the major media really is not, I think, telling the public the entire truth. And the real truth exists in libraries. And so for those who are interested in finding out the truth about whatever happened, you know, what really happened to JFK or, or Robert Kennedy or John Lennon or any of these people, uh, you, you can turn to the library and find a lot of this information. I mean, for example, when you look at JFK, the JFK assassination, it's obvious that it wasn't Oswald. I mean, and, uh, you know, there's some wonderful videos you can find in the libraries, like the men that killed Kennedys and the Jim Garrison files, um, and uh, so many other great movies, JFK by Oliver Stone, that start to tell you what really happened there about how, uh, you know, and I think one of the best examples is the photo, the Mary Mormon photo of, that shows three people with one person in a, in a police uniform there, um, the shooter, and, uh, you know, the three people on the grassy knoll. Um, I personally think that it's Frank Sturgis and E. Howard Hunt and Gordon Arnold um, and uh, it's CIA. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. Well, the major media hasn't told anybody about this, so we have to depend on our libraries to, to tell us more about that. And the same thing for um, Martin Luther King Jr., what really happened there? I mean, there's a lot of hidden information, but also the RFK assassination. Now, I, um, all the major media support the idea that Sirhan killed RFK, and most people accept that, but if you spend just 10 minutes looking at the physical evidence, and I recommend watching the movie The Second Gun, which is one of the best and only movies on the RFK murder, I mean, Robert Kennedy was a Democratic leader, I mean, who, uh, and, and so this Democratic process was subverted by violence, uh, and this is what seems to be a common occurrence in the United States. Um, I got to interview the co-producer of the second gun, Ted Chirac. This was a movie that was nominated for a Golden Globe in 1970, I think, and uh, what a wonderful person he is. And, and the evidence is, let me just say really clearly and simply, that RFK had powder burns from the autopsy from a gun one inch away from the back of his head. And all the witnesses, including uh, the Major D, Carl Euchre, who, who wrestled Sirhan away, says that Sirhan's gun never got more than three feet from the front of RFK. I mean, Sirhan was clearly in front of RFK. 
And then, then to listen to the racism of Thane Eugene Caesar, the security guard, who was in the only position to murder Robert Kennedy right behind him, it's so obvious that Thane Eugene Caesar murdered uh, Robert Kennedy. It wasn't uh, Sirhan Sirhan, and that's the case that uh, Ted Chirac and Gerard Khan make in the movie The Second Gun, and it's a wonderful movie, but where is it? It's not on BMG, it's not on Columbia House, it's not on the... Uh, uh, you know, cable television, it's nowhere. Well, where is yeah. Hollywood Librarian? What's Hollywood Librarian? It's a movie I'm trying to find. I had Googled um, librarians and Hollywood because I was trying to get people to interview that would want to talk about libraries and film. And um, she replied she'd be interested in interviewing, but I'd have to watch her movie first. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, I don't know where I'm going to find this movie. And she said, well, yeah, it didn't really get distributed anywhere. Yeah. So Hollywood Librarian as well is a film I'm wondering where it is. Yeah, we are in the middle of a an evolution, a revolution really of video that is being released to the public. I mean, it's just unbelievable the the uh, massive increase of videos on the web and the amount of information that's being related to the public is is wonderful, I think. And, you know, this this issue of the violence that we need to stop in the United States. We really need to take a serious effort. And I think there's just a lot of violent people who, who look at it and they don't want us to do that. Like, I think a lot of males view violence as macho. And, uh, you know, I think we need to enforce the laws. And, and, you know, another thing is the clog on free information is letting violent people get away with their violent crimes. You can't see a murder or you can't catch a murderer that you can't see. You know, this is a problem. Or an assaulter and you don't see the assault. So... Um, I mean, but another tragedy, for example, the John Lennon murder. What? A, how could somebody that popular be murdered in downtown New York City? I mean, that a Beatle would be murdered. I, I mean, the most popular band on earth at one time or another, you know. Um, Did you see the movie about that? I've, there's a couple good movies about that. Well, the one most recent with the famous singer. Um, oh, I don't think so. I think I heard about it. And there's also another one where uh, Yoko Ono is interviewed uh, about, uh, about John uh, yeah, it's, and, and where is the anti-violence message? We see ad and ad, ad after ad saying, you know, don't use drugs. And, uh, you know, but where's the don't use violence? You know, we have sex offender registries, but we have no violent offender registries. I mean, wouldn't it be nice to know if convicted murderers and assaulters live near us and are walking around? Uh, I, I think everybody has the, the uh, capacity to become violent. It depends on your situation. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. So if we labeled everybody with a violent person. Yeah, yeah I think the labels are oh. destructive. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. But We're it's like so we should just all be non judgmental as much as we can. Although everyone's biased. Actually even in library school we talked about every individual's biased if you're gonna make a collection that is a varied of all subjects, if you want a library with all the negative and positive, like you have to try to be unbiased, but it's hard because if you're against something, you don't want to put that in your library. Are you going to put um, books in your library that you don't believe in? If you had a, if you were a librarian, you had a library. Right. You work in a library, but you're not right. a librarian. That's what some people don't know. If you work in a library, you're not necessarily a librarian. But you, some librarians, that's their job is to build the collection and right. try to remain unbiased while building it. Are you going to put books in your library yeah it's again that issue of that total freedom of all information and people's rights to know versus the effects of full information like you know are, are we all going to have to wear yellow stars like the jewish people in uh you know nazi germany or or you know pink stars for people who are uh, known to be uh, bisexual or something you know i mean it's uh, it's terrible the effects of the conformist sort of thinking of like you know or a person with one assault is going to be viewed forever as a violent offender and, re- and not have the same job opportunities but you know i mean i think everybody has one assault or two assaults I mean, when we were kids you know i mean especially as a child or that spanked their child or something you know i mean tiny little petty uh, violence like that, you know. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm myself for total free information, and uh, let's let the chips fall where they may. I mean, one thing that I think is so interesting about the violence, and the most recent, one of the most recent acts of violence was, of course, 9-11, which is uh, embedded in everybody's uh, minds, you know. Um, I think that does, that deals with libraries, if you talk about 9-11, because after 9-11 is when they, be, they came up with the Patriot Act and the freedom of disclosure, the privacy of um, how they were saying the people can come into the library with a notice saying, I need to know what this person's been checking out. So yeah. Yeah, that's why that's right, right after 9-11 they said, the- I want to know what people are checking out because based on what they're checking out, I'm going to conceive basically. This is part of a very large issue of there's when you try to control information or whatever, um, you create this 
uh, two-tier society, like an apartheid, where one group has access to all the information, like those in the government, and though another side that's deprived of all that information. It's almost like the Hutu and Tutsi battle, or, or like the apartheid of South Africa. One group of people has all this information on everybody's, um, the books that they check out, and all this other stuff, and the interest in their thoughts, and their... Um, you know, their expressions and their works. And another group, or, you know, pictures, videos from inside their home, or, you know, um, various things, uh, people they see, and so on, um, versus those who really know nothing about anything. Um, and it's sort of a two-class system that I think is evolving, unfortunately, because there's those in the know and those who are excluded. And, uh, you know, those who are the insiders, the included, have access to this tremendous wealth of information. The cup spills over for them. They're all allowed to see all this stuff. But the other group are treated like dirt. You know, I mean, they just don't get to see anything. And they're the victims. And they're pushed around by these who these people who can uh, go check out the, what they've been checking out in the libraries and see what's uh, um, what kind of music they're listening to and what they're thinking about. So um, with the 9/11, it really is true that what a terrible thing. And then to find out, I couldn't believe a friend came to me and said, you know, a, a lot of people think there's something wrong with 9/11. And uh, I I thought, well, this is bizarre. I know there's a lot wrong with JFK and the, the JFK murder. I know it was an Oswald, and I and I realized later, of course, that there's something wrong with the RFK murder too. Um, but 9/11, I thought that's ridiculous. But then I looked into it, and I saw some of these. And I would encourage people to take a look, um, like these movies on the web that, as I say, are part of this large growth of information. Um, like, for example, In Plain Sight and Loose Change and Zero, an investigation into 9-11. And it, and it makes you realize, um, you know, that, for example, I really think there's something, there is something wrong with 9-11. When you look more at it, like I was saying, look at these things for 10 or 15 minutes and just don't listen to the major media story, but take a look at the actual physical evidence and the pictures of everything. You realize, you know, that steel frame buildings would never fall from a plane running into them. I mean, three steel frame buildings falling at free fall speed, you know, in seconds. It's just physically impossible, you know, and architects like Richard Gage um, and many others attest to this. I mean, it, it, you don't need a high school degree to, to realize this stuff. And then some physics professors found, uh, found nanothermitic chips, explosives, in the dust of 9-11. So that makes me question it. I mean, these are established scientists like um, Stephen Jones and uh, uh, Nils Herrett of... Um, of a Euro European scientist, and uh, and so and also the hole in the Pentagon. You look at this photo of the hole in the Pentagon. It's extremely small. I mean, it's far too small to accommodate a 757. And on and on it goes. I mean, there's just something very wrong. Where are all the the photos of the, from the the cameras of the Pentagon? I mean, there's something very wrong with the official story told by the major media about 9/11, and they all sort of parrot out the same story. And uh, so you know, um, I think you know part of the problem is that we don't. We don't want to see the unpleasant pictures of violence. And so, you know, the violent get away with their violent crimes. And, you know, if we don't see and stop and punish violent people, it may lead to war, like World War I and World War II. All well, how are you going to you know, punish violence with violence? I think, you know, no, that's it. I think that's what war is. You know, you're trying to basically, it's out of, out of control just, uh, you know, uh, firing each other people. And, and the technology now that we're getting into, like, for example, I think with walking robots, with artificial muscles, just like human muscle, you know, that, that move robots, or even the electric motor robots, and then also the particle beams, like, you know, that a person could be cut into pieces just like a CO2 laser does to, to metal in seconds, and it could all be computer-controlled, and, you know, you could have the next war might be fought in milliseconds, you know, as, a, you know, some computer satellite just uh, picks off uh, millions of people um, in milliseconds, um, uh, so, you know, these are dangerous, dangerous weapons and uh, dangerous technology, and we really have to come to face-to-face -face with the uh, controlling the violent. My own recommendation is, is to, uh, you know, try to, to expose them, let everybody see them at least. I mean, even if you can't arrest them, like whoever did 9-11, you know, I mean, and I don't think it was 19 hijackers, I mean, I think it was controlled demolition, you <laughs> know, I mean, you can just look at it, the building blows up floor by floor, and, and whoever did that, we don't even see them. They're out there somewhere, if, if that's what happened, you know. And, and do you think uh, yeah. for stuff like how you're saying about stuff that's constructed that destroys us, that information is in a library. Do you think that information needs to be secured or just open to everybody? You know, I think it really needs to be open. That's my own belief. Now, there's two philosophies. Like, one is that you have to have national security and you have to respect people's privacy and all this other stuff. And I think there's a lot of truth to that um, argument because, uh, you know, but it comes down to a question of, 
you know, like I say, um, do loose lips sink ships or do loose lips save ships? And I think, you know, letting just a few small elites have all the information is, is a recipe for disaster, as opposed to letting a large, large group of people all have that information. Yeah, you should give people the benefit of the doubt and not be scared of the future and fear the unknown if we're too paranoid or negative or pessimistic. Yeah. That's what's um, questioning the future of our libraries. People are wondering about our digital future, future of our information spaces. Which is, again, what this show is all about, is just about discussing the, f- the world of um, our digital information spaces and libraries and anybody that has anything to do with the library, not necessarily librarians. So me, myself, as the host of the show, I'm in library school, and this is all discussion in lecture, all these topics. Even if you wouldn't think that's what library school talks about, it's what we talk about. We talk about information, organizing information, policy making on information. So libraries are a great center to our cities and histories and everything. And we're, we're in the middle of the show. I want to let you introduce your song we're going to play. You yeah, have a song uh-huh. um, I do. that I, goes well with our topics. Yeah. I write a lot of songs, um, you know, because I can't, I can't listen to a lot of the stuff that I hear, the music, because it just doesn't have the same message I, w- I want to hear. That's a, I think why people, a lot of people write their own music is because you want to hear a song that, with a message that, that you believe in. Um, so this song is called Journey to Centauri, um, and it's basically about the future where there's going to be a wonderful time where our descendants um, reach the closest stars of Alpha Centauri, which, which are the closest known stars, and um, they send ships there, perhaps the robots, uh, wa- you know, walking robots on the ship, and they send back the pictures of all the planets and who knows what uh, growing around uh, whatever they find on the planets of the stars of Centauri. And uh, that's going to be, I think everybody around this star, around Jupiter and Mars and, and all the different planets are going to all be watching this, these pictures coming back from Alpha Centauri. And uh, that's what this song is about, that journey. It's going to be an enormous journey, just like the journey of Columbus and so on was a long journey. This journey is really long. I, I kind of think it's going to be hundreds of years to reach those other stars. They're so far away. Well, let's check it out by Ted Huntington. Thank you. Safe and warm in our ships Not 
nothing but space and countless planets and all the time to enjoy the journey to KCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Once again, you're listening to me, ZBZ, with Our Digital Future, and that there was a great song by our guest. And would you like to announce that title again? Yeah, Journey to Centauri. And your name again? Ted Huntington. Which you can get that song off his website as well, right? Yeah, tedhuntington.com. <laughs> so then, um, but bring us to the second half of our show. We're going to be continuing our discussion on... Our digital future, librarians around the world discuss the digital future of our information spaces with me, Ziva Z, who is in library school, but doesn't necessarily always interview librarians. Last week we had Dan Zhang, as he pronounces it, and he was uh, 24 years here at the UCI Library as, as a librarian, well, still is, but um, he has a show here as well, so check it out, um, five to six Mondays maybe. And um, right now we have um, Ted here. He works at the library as well and has great ideas on the future and information. So what, what, let's go move on to our second topic. I think our first topic, we were focusing on violence in the media. So now yeah. we're going to shift gears. Into, yeah, freedom of information in the media and libraries and future technologies and so on. You know, and the issue, there is an issue of informing and educating people versus privacy and secrecy, you know, is a well-informed public safer or is an ignorant, under-informed public safer? You know, and I, I personally believe that a well-informed public is safer. And, you know, the amazing thing, I was, some friends had told me about this journal uh, in, in December 2008, um, just as the Bush-Cheney uh, had lost uh, the election into Obama, right? Um, a friend had told me about this, this p article published by um, these Japanese researchers, you, uh, the Kamatani et al., um, how they're doing this uh, neuron reading and writing and so on. And uh, basically they captured a picture of the word uh, neuron from behind a person's head and uh, different other pictures they captured from behind their head using functional uh, magnetic resonance imaging. And this to me was a really interesting thing. And, there, and there's other researchers like... Um, uh, Jack Gallant at all at Berkeley doing similar research and even here at UCI people are researching uh, basically how do we see and hear thought and how do we see and hear what people see and what do we, what they're thinking about in terms of sound and so I even sent an um, email to this uh, one of the uh, uh, journal um, article authors Yukiyazu Kamatani and Kamatani actually wrote me back and um, he said that yeah you know he could see a future where um, you know, there are cameras that actually see what people think and they're sold just to the public. So you can walk around and like listen to what somebody's thinking or, you know, around and see what uh, people think. You know, like imagine in your mind, um, you know, just the picture of an orange circle um, or like, a, a, you know, a family member or something, you know, um, to actually capture a picture of that orange circle and uh, print it out and then pass it around or, or, you know, also to be able to send it back to somebody's head, a friend, you know, just to send them that picture of that orange circle and or, or um, like, for example, think of a song in your mind, like, um, all you need is love, right? All you need is love and then, um, or, you know, she blinded me with science and then to actually record that, right? To actually record that song and then to beam it right back onto somebody else's, your friend's ear and brain so that they can hear it directly without the need for a headphone or anything. I mean, that to me is so interesting. It would be so convenient. Um, of course, also, it, it raises issues, though, if people can hear your thoughts and see the image on your screen. I mean, um, you know, it's like people might be walking around and, uh, you know, so it was interesting that uh, you could see like a square over their head with the pictures that they're thinking of, you know, like that orange circle or whatever. So, um, you know, it's interesting. Well, Kamatani told me in this email that they can actually distinguish from the different syllables of thought. Um, like, you know, between po and go, they can, like, determine if a person's thinking, uh, you know, um, different sounds and so on. So I thought that was really interesting. And it's not a new idea, actually. I was surprised to, to find out when I started researching this. 
because in 1911, there was a guy, Hugo Gernsback, who, uh, who wrote one of the first science fiction stories called Ralph 124C for 1 Plus, in which there is a mono, a monograph, which is a recording uh, of thought audio, and people record their thoughts. They turn on the machine, then think some audio, and then turn it off. And the audio is then printed out on a strip of paper. Um, and this was, um, so that was one thing in 1911. In 1922, the year my mom was born, I mean, she died in 2007, a French author, long since dead, Andre Marois, wrote the book The Thought Reading Machine about a professor who builds a tiny device that can hear thoughts. And it's interesting, they listen to people's thoughts, and the thoughts repeat a lot, like, you know, sing, 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 sing a song, why do we need to sing? You know, it's just funny, you know, people have funny thoughts and funny thought audio in our mind and so on. So, um, but that, you know, then the idea of writing to the neurons, too, for our nerve cells. Neurons are nerve cells, right? And, um, you know, our, our nervous system, it is an entire electrical circuit. It's amazing. Um, and this is the same for all the mammals and birds and uh, fish and uh, amphibians and so on. They all have the same nervous system. And so, for example, sending an image back to the brain of, and uh, the, the possibilities of this are just fascinating to me. For example, as I was saying, I jog a lot, you know, and I'd like to be able to see, uh, watch videos just beam directly to my brain, you know, to receive the video direct to neuron, it might be called, you know, while I jog and or, to, or exercise or whatever, and to be able to watch a movie like Star Wars or Star Lovings or whatever, you know. But, you know, images sent to your brain might not be sent there, or they might be sent there from, like, dropouts in our government or the phone companies, so watch out out there, you know, if you're getting an image, uh, you know, in your Would brain. Would you have to pay for it, like Netflix? You probably would have to pay for it, too. You know, you'd have to pay some uh, telecom company or some media What about company, free right? information? What about when you go to a library and check out a video and it's free? You right. could get free information or you could pay for the information. Yeah, maybe if people could ever get their, the majority view together, we could somehow uh, create a system uh, like the Library of Congress or something where, you know, this type of service would be free, like a phone service. Just like our postal service could be free if ever we voted on those things and we had the right to vote directly and say, hey, let's have the postal system be uh, government uh, and be free and free health care or whatever, you know, and free phone service. This stuff is so massive that there can't possibly be competition. Yeah, I really like the postal service. That's the first article we read in library school had to do with the postal service and newspapers and how newspapers were given really cheap um, postages for their businesses to send across the nation their newspapers. They wanted information to go freely. They wanted democracy. So yeah, yeah, they had to pay the post office, but it was very, very cheap, almost nothing. So they could get newspapers all over, information all over. Everybody wanted information daily. I love that. The Postal Service, myself, I've used it every day for the last week or two. What's like 44 cents for an envelope, a letter, and like 28 cents for a postcard. There's something nicer about democracy versus sort of the uh, the monopoly or the business um, view because like with a democracy, you can vote for people that you believe in and, and it's not this, this group of powerful, wealthy people who control everything and they do things their way as opposed to democracy where the public can pretty much vote. If somebody does something wrong, then they can, uh, you know, vote them out of power. Whereas, like, at the phone company, you're stuck with the owners there. They're, if you don't like the phone service, it's too bad, you know. And I mean, it's amazing, like, the phone company, we, we ought to have video phones, internet-free video internet software, video phone software like Skype by the phone company. Why... Why don't they do that? I mean, it's just uh, stuff like that that makes you think, well, it should be democracy. I That's think. why I think libraries are so great because there's, uh, there's libraries, but then there's also private companies that try to act like libraries. But why do you have the private companies? Because people don't realize that the same thing is for free at the library. Just how, like, there's Netflix, the Blockbuster, or whatever, like, people don't realize the same thing is for free at the library. And then there's the post office. That's not free, but yeah. the people go to U.S. Well, FedEx or whatever because they think it's better, but it's the same thing. It just costs more. It's free, almost free at the post office. Just use the stuff that, you know, your government has helped you um, have access to because it is a public space. The library is a public space. It's for everybody. Everybody contributes with their tax dollars or anybody can yeah. go in there. They don't kick you out. Homeless people, they go to public libraries. You, that's your space. That's for you. That's for anybody, even homeless people. A lot of people don't even realize the stuff, especially the internet, but also libraries that you can get even through interlibrary loan, too. Like, if your local library doesn't have it, many times you can go through interlibrary loan and request that, and uh, it can be sent to you directly. I mean, it's, it's just an amazing thing.
Uh, so also this idea, though, of uh, neuron writing, which I think is so amazing. Like you can see and hear neuron reading and our nerve cell reading, like seeing and hearing thoughts, which has been going on for a long time, whatever. Uh, and people are researching now, but also writing that stuff back, you know. And when you can, like, it's amazing. Like in, in 1680, Luigi Galvani in Italy was doing direct neuron writing or direct uh, neuron activation. But, you know, you could remotely do this by contracting a person's... I mean, we think about the possibilities to remotely move somebody's muscle because, you know, a muscle is connected to all those neurons. And so if you can just, um, you know, activate a neuron, you can contract their muscle and then do this remotely. Basically what Galvani was doing in 1680, but doing it remotely with some sort of particle beam like an X-ray beam or who knows what. Um, that's what people are researching and it very well could be a reality. But, I mean, can you imagine that, that a person's, like, heart muscle could be made to contract or their lung muscle could be held and they could be, you know, murdered remotely. And then nobody would know because, you know, the particle beams are invisible and there is no physical damage detectable by a coroner. I mean, the possibilities are terrible, um, especially violent images or violent suggestions being sent to people. You know, uh, you could be a person could be a pawn for some twisted violent prankster with a particle beam. You know, could you imagine a person just sending audio to a brain like, hey, this is God. Uh, go do violence and the poor excluded outsider who doesn't know that you know neurons can be written to is like oh, okay yes God I will now do violence for you uh, only to realize that it wasn't God but just some violent touch hole with access to a particle beam neuron writer I'm sure the military would love that yeah I think that would be up to the military's uh, avenue right uh, but you can see then that there would be this entire interface you know with neuron writing for example the telecom the phone companies uh, would beam directly to everybody's brain I mean then imagine you can get a bunch of windows just in front of your eyes like windows on the computer but they appear just in front of your eyes out in space in front of your eyes right you can have a window with your computer desktop one with the current time there like down in the lower right hand corner one with your calendar up in the left hand corner another from a nearby camera that is focused on you like a mirror window you know you can see a live video stream of you um, you walk by somebody and call up a video of them just in your thoughts of them walking by you uh, from some camera around you and then their body appears, perhaps even modeled in 3D, and there above their head is a square that shows the image of, of their mind, like that, that uh, orange circle that we thought of, and, uh, and it plays the audio of their thoughts right there in front of your eyes, right? You know, you don't even have to look at them, like the song we thought of, All You Need Is Love or whatever, and, and uh, you get to examine their profile, what they look like in the nude, for example, all the sex they've ever had, and all their health problems, you know, all their diseases they might have ever had, or who knows what, all the violent events in their past, you know, without any, any thought of violating a person's privacy. I mean, uh, seeing all their most intimate details of anybody's life, and then beam directly to your brain, if you, appearing in front of your eyes. I mean, and then little muddy boxes, maybe, from from offers of money from people to say things and mislead the blind and the deaf that don't get the service. This is the thing I'm, I'm so worried about that, uh, you know, it might create two societies like some people that get this video to the eyes and then others that are excluded for various reasons. And just like, you know, how blind people and deaf people are taken advantage of, unfortunately and terribly, um, the same thing could happen. Uh, but ultimately, the good thing is that it would make communication so much easier. People wouldn't have to bother to talk because everybody would quickly hear and see or thoughts and know what you think, you know, I mean, people who do violence could never, another point, you know, is people who do violence could never lie and cover up their violent crimes, I mean, that's an important What, what part of the future, how far away in the future do you imagine these things happening? You know, I don't really know for sure, it's always a mystery, I'm, I'm kind of an outsider, you're more of an insider, I connected, I'm, you know, I'm like completely excluded, and so I, I'm constantly guessing, and so I don't really know, um, you know, if even if it's, if it's already been made possible, uh, and you know that's just the sad. I mean, you thing. could have said the same thing about the iPhone 20 years ago. Yeah, the funny there's a funny story about the telephone. Like the um, the first telephone was invented, and many people don't even know. Uh, Philip Reese is the first in a public record, like in the um, I think it was 1860s or something. And, and Alexander Graham Bell came later in 1876 with the invention of the phone. But there's a funny story about a duke who who was shown the telephone for the first time, and he was so scared he dropped the telephone and was like it talks it talks you know uh, like he was so that's the way new technology is like you know you see a walking robot or something I mean people it's something they've never seen before and it's it's pretty scary for them yeah idea. and they want to make sure they get the credit they deserve which is a story we heard in film and media my film and media degree here at UCI we learned about the film history and then we learned about the history the inventors of radio and there was two different people you know competing for the recognition 
and the one that felt he deserved it and his whole life he was in court trying to get the recognition he felt he deserved yeah. and he just couldn't take it anymore he just he committed suicide he jumped off of a radio tower or something like that it's in a it's in a documentary video um about the history of radio if you want to check it out it's pretty sad yeah, that that is a sad thing. Um, uh, yeah, the, the suicides that would be that you could, you know, and that's what I'm saying. Like, especially those people who couldn't see and hear thought, like, you know, um, and those who could, they could easily like plant, you know, terrible suggestions and and make people do all kinds of things, suicide or violent crime or dishonest things or steal or anything like that. Um, and that's the kind of thing, though. It's balanced with the freedom of information. If everybody could see, then we would know who was doing violent crimes. We would know that somebody loves you out there, right? You know that somebody, uh, you'd be able to find a partner. I mean, it's almost like an apartheid, but it's a genocide, too, because, or would be a genocide because, uh, you know, um, the people who could see and hear thought can quickly connect up. And you wouldn't want somebody who couldn't see and hear thought. Uh, who doesn't get video windows in their eyes because uh, it, would, it would be very difficult to talk to them. It would be like trying to talk to a blind or a deaf person. Well, something yeah. similar to what you said, they just came up with it, out with an app. I heard we discussed it actually in a library lunch talk um, discussion about a new, elect, a new thing coming out that you could um, find somebody that is in your area just with your, with your phone, with your geolocator phone. Right. Somebody that has a lot of the same interests as you. Right. They, you know, they're strangers, but they've liked the same things you like. They've done the same things you've done. They've gone to the places you've gone. And it's saying, hey, you have a possible love um, connection around you. It's called Spark or something. It's yeah. like, they're like, do you want to reveal your information to them? And then ask if they'll reveal your information to you. And you guys could start up maybe a friendship or more. How interesting. That's a new phone I, thing. Yeah, I heard something like that. Like the Japanese were doing that probably 20 years ago. So they had yeah. something similar. And that's really the truth, especially like I'm a person who's vegetarian, you know. So it's like impossible to find somebody who is, uh, has similar views. And that's what we want, though, ultimately, somebody who's a lot like us has the same philosophy and, and philosophical views and religious views or whatever. And, and That's uh, where maybe looking at a library patron record would be in handy. Yeah, right. That's, uh, yeah, that's an interesting thing. I mean, this kind of technology, though, that we're talking about, it's a miniaturization, too. It's like, it, it requires, like, you know, these tiny cameras and neuron readers and writers and so on. Um, and they would have to be very, very small and all operate uh, wirelessly or, or by light particle communication somehow, you know. It's, and even here at UCI, people are developing this type of nanotechnology. So, you know, I can imagine that there would be, um, you know, I could see, you know, tiny micrometer or nanometer flying little pieces of dust cranked out by the millions that fly around with tiny light particle engines that just hover like a piece of dust that nobody can see fly in and out of people's bodies and without them ever knowing their houses and so on and just capture images and send them back to some massive uh, data storage center and it, it has to do with the issue of privacy too like you know imagine the beginning of the telegraph and the telephone companies and um, you have these messages you know, from many, many people, you have telegraph messages and telephone calls on your electric wires and so on. And, uh, you know, you hear these conversations on the telephone, but you don't record them. You know, you, you don't store them. Even if people are willing to pay you thousands and thousands of dollars to hear them, the secret conversations of Marilyn Monroe or some celebrity Elvis or, you know, or JFK. Well, who knows what the military intelligence are doing nowadays. They have the interpreters that learn different languages just to see uh, electronic, you know, warfare interception, just yeah. to see... What, what tone are they speaking in? What are they saying? Are they planning something? Like, people, that's their job for six years is just sit by a radio, pick yep, up frequencies, yeah. and you don't know what if they're doing that right now, too. That's right. And it's interesting. Like, you know, can you imagine the phone company recording every single phone call ever, ever done? You know I mean? You could hear people like, uh, I just murdered somebody. What do I do? Now? You know, like, you know, just oh, you know, yeah. like all kinds of stuff. Oh. There's the Internet <laughs> Archive, and there's the Way Back When machine, and they're doing every single website that ever existed you know they're just yeah. keeping a record of yeah, it's like I didn't know my website from 2000 for my radio show was going to be archived on the internet and I could still go back to my first HTML website ever in 2000 and like oh that's the music website I tried to put together the um, way back when machine has the archive of it it's just like terabytes upon terabytes of data and you know the phone company if they did store all that information especially when you're talking about visual information from for example uh, cameras street cameras and you know uh, and, and just to say that street cameras would solve so much violent crime I, people are so ignorant I wish the public would uh, vote for some street cameras that we all can see not just the police as I say there's a problem with the elites having this this special view that uh, and all the excluded 
uh, don't get to see. And so, uh, you know, it's important to see. We would solve, I think, 9 out of 10 violent crimes just from street cameras. But all that information, terabytes and per- terabytes, it would make the, the phone companies, uh, AT&T, look, make the Library of Congress look small, I think, you know, in comparison when you have every single... I mean, they probably have, uh, you know, photos of the thoughts of Beethoven, for all I know. You know, I mean, that's just how uh, secretive and, uh, and, and mysterious the technology the phone company uh, has and so on. And, and, oh, you uh, think the phone company has stuff like that already? I don't know. You know, I think it's really interesting. I think that, or a lot of people, or the government, uh, you know, how they have a lot of cameras uh, inside people's houses and they don't, they're not, they're not, they don't oh, need do to they? tell anybody. I'm sure they do. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think they, for example, uh, John Lennon, there's a professor at UCI, uh, uh, Mark Wiener, who's researched and spent his entire life trying to get a few papers of what the uh, FBI knew about John Lennon. He, he wrote a book about it, too. I mean, it's um, it's really a terrible thing. I mean, they... they uh, you should try to get a radio show here. You have a lot to say every week, one I, hour a week. You should I do. You know, I have look a video... Into that. I have a video log on uh, my webpage. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, if people are interested in what I'm saying, you can definitely check that out. But, we're, yeah, because our almost is already over. Our hour's already over. Yeah. And you have a lot to say, so... I yeah, do. you should come back and um, host a show once a week. You have to, you know, those interviews you do on video, and you could just do them live over the air. You could bring down guests and interview them. This live. is the thing. I mean, we're heading into a uh, era where it's like you, you could just have cameras around you and just broadcast, webcast your yeah. entire life, you know. But, I mean, it'd be nice to, like, be able to condense it into just the yeah. important material, right? Yeah. So, yeah, our, um, our hour is over now, but I want to thank Ted Huntington for coming down and sharing your song. We'll put the podcast up for anybody to hear, and then the 6 o'clock um, show will commence shortly. But um, any last words? No, just a thank you very much, Eva. You're a really special person. You're a wonderful person and uh, such a nice person. To, uh you so and Rare, one in a million, I think. Oh, great. Thank you so much for being on Our Digital Future, where we discuss the future of all information spaces, libraries in particular, I was at end the show with a song by Belle and Sebastian, just as we started it. This song is called Cover, and this is off their books EP. Stay tuned next week for special guest, Ned.